All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Uh, joining me now is a guy basically doing God's work. Um, not by that title, but you'll see. Uh, he's vice president of farm animal protection at the Humane Society of the United States. Um, Josh, uh, welcome to the Young Turks. Thank you for having me on, it's quite an honor. Oh, thank you, brother. Um, so uh, there's so much to talk about when it comes to protecting farm animals. Uh, first of all, um, about how many animals do we kill per year in America? We kill about 9 billion farm animals in the United States. And most of them are raised in really horrendous conditions. They're in what are called factory farms. And inside these factory farms, you know, they never can go outside. Many of them are put in cages so small they can barely move an inch their entire life. You know, we were often talked about old McDonald's farm when we were growing up. Well, this is the opposite of that. These animals are living in such horrible conditions, it would sicken any of us to see. And that's unfortunately the way that we're raising these animals in our country. Josh, you were an undercover investigator at a, a chicken slaughterhouse, right? I was, I was. Yeah, so tell me about that. Uh, what um, made you go in and do that? Uh, what did you see? What were you able to document, if anything? And then if you documented anything at, at one of these slaughterhouses, I don't know if you got arrested for it because apparently the First Amendment does not apply to things we don't really want to see. That's exactly why I did it is because animal agribusiness doesn't want us to see what's going on. You know, their greatest asset is to try to do things behind the locked doors of factory farms and slaughterhouses. So what I did is get a job inside a chicken slaughterhouse in Maryland. I was hooked up with a hidden camera. And I wanted to expose what is actually going on behind the scenes. You know, how are these chickens being killed? Is it done in this like utopian, humane way that the chicken industry likes to claim, or is it done far worse? And unfortunately, it's done in a way that would horrify the everyday person. You know, chickens are shackled, fully conscious. You know, by the time they even get to that point in their life, they're just 45 days of age. They're genetically manipulated to grow so big so fast, they can barely move their legs. So by the time they're even in the slaughterhouse, they're in great pain. They're in constant suffering from their crippled joints. Their heart and lung can barely keep up with their enormous size. And so when they're killed, that is kind of the merciful ending of a horrific life. Unfortunately, I wish it was more merciful because it causes an immense amount of suffering for them to go for their final minutes. I did it to expose what was going on. It's critical that people know. And you know what? The good news is when people find out how animals are treated so poorly, they want change to happen. Yeah, we have a vegan host here, Mark Thompson, and he's actually flipped some of the other people who work here and then some folks in the audience. And one of the ways you just you do that is you just show them any video from any of these um you know farm factories uh and slaughterhouses and it's hard not to get flipped um and so um i, I want to talk more about that too first let's just note the irony of the right wing who says they're all about freedom of speech to say racist things bigoted things they they value freedom of speech so much uh but when uh people go to film uh at these um giant corporate farms um all of a sudden, the right wing doesn't believe in freedom of speech, right? What you're referring to is what are these called ag gag laws? 
And that is a way to stop freedom of speech where where agribusiness wants to prevent people from seeing what's going on. They want to stifle speech by making a crime not to abuse the animals, but make it a crime to actually expose what's going on to the animals. And so in order for people to know what's going on inside the factory farm walls, people have to get jobs like an undercover investigator or whistleblowers have to come out and tell the truth. And so rather than making conditions better for these animals, instead what agribusiness does is make, try to make it a crime. And so someone can be punished more for exposing the cruelty than actually doing the cruelty themselves. And so four states have these laws, four other states have had the laws stricken down on First Amendment grounds. And we have fortunately killed 30 other pieces of legislation that would be this type of law. And so when it comes down to it is this, what is going on inside the meat, egg and dairy industries that they are fighting as hard as they can for people never to know what's going on? That says a lot about this industry. In what industry would we ever trust when they are fighting tooth and nail to make sure no one ever knows what's happening? Please, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna lock the doors. We're gonna make it a crime to find out. You know, we we're gonna, you know, put on fuzzy ads about what we want people to believe, but really, what's where we're hiding behind the closed doors is the truth. What industries would we ever trust? And that's so. That's the reason why so many people, you know, like many of your colleagues, are moving away from eating as much meat, eggs, and dairy as we used to, because we don't want to support industry that acts like that. Well, there's a literal saying, you don't want to see how the sausage gets made. There's a reason why there's that saying. <laughs> and so it is uncomfortable, but but that's the whole point. We should look in the mirror to see if what we're doing is so uncomfortable that we don't want to see it. Well, if that's the case, maybe we shouldn't do it. So now, speaking of which, it sounds like there's a weird irony here that some of the laws that apply to some animals like pets, cats and dogs, if you applied it to this agribusiness would basically shut the whole thing down. Is there that kind of disparity? You're certainly right, there's a paradox. The paradox is, is that we love our dogs and cats as if they are family members. While simultaneously animals like chickens and pigs and cows who have the same capacity to suffer, the same capacity to feel pain, the same want and need to have a good life are rendered virtually protectionless under our laws. And what's the reason behind it? The reason behind it is, as you said, is that if we apply the laws to dogs and cats, Animal agribusiness would be committing a crime in every state in our nation. You know, we cannot confine a dog in a cage so small she can't turn around for an entire four year life. Yet this is the standard way a mother pig is raised within the pork industry. You know, we cannot confine eight pets, let's say cats, in a cage so small they can't even move for their entire life. And yet that's how chickens are raised in the egg industry. Yeah, we couldn't, imagine going to the vet. Here's a great example for you. Imagine going to the vet to get your dog spay or neutered. You know, of course the vet will, will use pain relieving medication and the dog will come out in a better situation. Imagine if the vet's like, you know what? 
we're not going to use any pain relief. We're just going to go right in there and do all this surgical procedure, no pain relief whatsoever. We would get the heck out of there. We would contact law enforcement and say there's criminal activity going on involving criminal cruelty to animals. Yet that is exactly what happens when pigs are castrated across the country. Or where egg laying chickens have parched their beaks off, cut right off with, with in essence, scissors. You know, so what we do to farm animals would be a crime if done to our dogs and cats. And so fortunately though, most of us believe that all animals, including those raised for food, deserve at least some level of protection. And that's why we're passing as many laws as we are now, but we have a lot more to do. Yeah, so I saw this video a couple of years ago where somebody had left a dog in a, in a car for a couple of minutes. It was in Beverly Hills and they nearly killed a guy for leaving the dog in a big car for a couple of minutes. Meanwhile, we take all these other animals that are just as empathetic and, and have the same degree of intelligence as far as we can tell as dogs. And we stuff them in a tiny little cage for their whole lives and basically torture them until we kill them. And everybody's like, oh, that's fine. So it makes no sense at all. It's not even trying to make sense. So look, there's so much I want to get to. But one of the things I'm dying to ask you is, how do you know if something's actually cage free? You know, I go to the store. And and they have like normal eggs for whatever that means, like or abnormal eggs in a sense. Then they have what they say is cage free eggs, and it's like fifty cents more. And now there's a new category of things that are like really cage free, and that's three dollars more. Wait, so how can I tell? Well, first of all, I appreciate they're looking. That's a that's a good place to start. And how we can tell is this. If an egg carton does not say cage free or free range or pasture, those eggs came from chickens confined in small cages. Now, just to be clear, cage free, free range doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean a 100% life filled with just love and kindness and no suffering whatsoever. The chickens still are put in a barn with too many of them. Many times they don't have outdoor access, but it's dramatically better than being confined in a cage for your whole life. So that's how you look for it. But I just want to go back to your other point about you know, you're seeing the dog in a hot van in the middle of summer. I'm thrilled with you know, how most of us act. We think that's, that's outrageous when that happens. But that's exactly what happens to chickens in every operation there is across the country. 99% of them are in these warehouses where they don't have relief from the type of conditions they're forced to live in. They're forced to, to stand in their own defecation. In fact, they're supposed to stay, they're forced to stand in their own defecation of generations of chickens before as well. And that's the standard practice. And so going back to your smart comparison here, it's like, hey, imagine we went to a dog breeder and there were 10,000 dogs forced to stand in their own defecation, shoulder to shoulder their entire life. We would We would just completely, just be calling as much law enforcement officials to action as possible. Yet this is what happens to those chickens. Fortunately, we can do something about it though. You know, it's not just doom, doom and gloom. Every time we eat, we can make a difference. And the more that we can incorporate more plant-based foods into our diet, 
that those are good steps in the right direction to help animals, better for health, and of course, it's much better in addressing climate change too. Michael Wick, Michael Wick, Michael Vick went to prison. Um, if we treated uh, the people who run agribusiness like we treat Michael Vick, they'd all be in prison. Um, so that's the the current reality of the situation. Uh, thank you, Josh. Uh, before we let you go, though, I want to ask you about Prop 12. What was that, and and what is it? What's happening with it now? So it was a year-long ballot measure campaign in California. We took on big animal agribusiness. It banned the confinement of egg-laying chickens, mother pigs, and calves raised for veal in tiny cages. And it banned the sale of eggs, pork, and veal from caged animals. At the end of the day, we won about two-thirds of the vote on election night 2018. We then went to Oregon, Washington, Michigan, and Colorado to pass very similar laws. This time through the state legislatures because they didn't want to have to deal with the ballot measure. And so already we have moved the egg industry from being low single digits cage free to nearly 30% of the egg industry is now cage free, affecting roughly 90 million animals who otherwise would be confined in cages. So we are moving in a good direction. Our country is moving in a good direction. This happens to be an issue that we can bring a lot of people together in all walks of life, but we just have to keep plugging along. I can't stop asking you questions. What happened at McDonald's? Did you, were you guys able to move McDonald's into cage-free eggs? And if so, how? How did you put enough pressure on a multi-billion dollar company to do that? Well, the shareholder tactics that we use often work on McDonald's. So we buy shares in companies. There are many things one can do as a shareholder, whether it's a shareholder resolution, going to the board of directors, going to the shareholder meetings. And so there's a lot of actions one can do. And with McDonald's, we did get them to announce they're going 100% cage free. This is the biggest corporate announcement to affect farm animals in history. They buy about 2 billion eggs a year. And over a 10 year period, all of them are going cage free. Right now, they're about halfway through. And because of that announcement, we've gone virtually every other major food company to also commit to going cage free. So whether it's the corporate policies like McDonald's and getting Walmart and Costco and so many do the same, or the legislative policies that we've enacted in laws, we are making it standard within our country that it's no longer acceptable to confine farm animals in cages. That's amazing. That's why I said in the beginning, doing God's work. So last thing to end on, and it's really quick. You said the chicken, the way that we're genetically modifying it, lasts about 45 days before we kill it. We get, I don't know the whole process. I assume we get eggs, then we get the meat, etc. What's the normal lifespan of a chicken? Well, chickens can live many years on end. I mean, chickens, if they weren't genetically manipulated and they grew like the normal natural rate, they could even get to a decade perhaps. But chickens in the meat industry is through this genetic manipulation that is just 45 days until they're slaughtered. So when we look at chicken meat, that chicken meat comes from baby chickens, all of it, baby chickens. Just think about that for a second. Look what we've done to these poor animals, that all chicken meat is coming from baby chicks. And the only reason why we're able to do it is because of that genetic manipulation of these animals. So we've come all far, far away from anything natural whatsoever when it comes to meat. And fortunately that we have so many plant-based cruelty-free options that we can just ourselves 
take steps, remove our support from this cruelty, demonstrate that we're just no longer going to accept this type of cruelty and abuse. If any other life form did to us what we do to chickens, pigs, cows, we would think that they were the most horrific thing in the universe. That's just a fact. What we want to do about that is a different question. And that's what Josh has spent a lot of time in his career on. So thank you, appreciate it. Everybody check out the Humane Society of the United States and Josh works as in the farm animal protection part of it. Thank you so much for joining us, Josh, really appreciate it. Thanks again for having me on. No problem. All right, back on a conversation. Joining me now is a man who is in one of the most important races in the country. That's not an exaggeration, I'll explain to you why. It's Mike Siegel, he's running in 10th Congressional District in Texas against a terrible Republican named Mike McCall. We'll talk about him in a second as well. Mike, welcome back to the Young Turks. Jenk, it's great to see you. I sorry can't be there in person, but these are the times we're in. But so glad to be in this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. For the folks at home, look in the primaries, I said the most important races were Jamal Bowman, Cory Bush, Jessica Cisneros, and Marie Newman, and we won three out of four of those. So that was great, right? And I'm telling you, in the general election for congressional races, Kara Eastman and Mike Siegel. So there's a lot of wonderful, important candidates that are doing great work. Jamal and Corey and Maria are gonna win their race anyway. That Those are foregone conclusions. But Cara and Mike are in super tight races that are definitely winnable. There's a couple others too, they've been on the show, but these are the top two. So Mike, first let's talk about the district and how close it is right now. How do you know it's close? Well, I mean, we've been working nonstop for three and a half years. I came within 4% against a mega millionaire in 2018. We built a grassroots army. And now the polls in the last month show us in a statistical tie with McCall. And even better than that, the record turnout we have in Texas, which is so amazing. That over 270,000 votes have been cast in my district already with four days of early voting to go plus election day. Compare that to 307,000 total in 2018. The high water mark was 350,000 in the first Obama election. We might get there by the end of early voting. And what we're finding is that these voters who have already voted are more Democrats than Republican. So we are on the precipice as you acknowledge, making history, replacing one of the worst Republicans in Congress, one of the wealthiest, most corrupt members of Congress, not just running on a middle of the ground democratic platform, running on a strong progressive platform. So. We're very excited, but we have eight, work, eight days of hard work ahead of us. Yeah, that's why Cara and Mike's wins are so important because they're they're actual progressives in purple to red districts. And if you get those wins, it's, it destroys the myth forever that you need to run a corporate Democrat who is Republican light in those districts. They don't win, whereas Mike and Cara have an excellent chance of winning. So I can't emphasize this enough, SiegelforTexas.org, and we'll put it down below as a link as well, because we're in the home stretch here. This is when it's the most important. So Mike, let's let's talk about McCall, your opponent. So you put up a tweet the other day that I wanna show the audience here. And it's got a bunch of logos on it, like a an like almost like a NASCAR driver. And and so what are those logos, Mike? And why did you put them next to McCall? 
These are the bribes, Jenk, as you say. I mean, these are the corporate PACs that are funding McCall. This is a guy that's one of the wealthiest individuals in Congress worth over $300 million. And he takes 70% of his money from corporate PACs. And so these are the people that tell him, okay, when you're on Homeland Security, we need to fill more beds at those private immigration jails. These are the people that tell them, no, we can't negotiate prescription drug prices downwards because you're taking 200,000 in pharmaceutical dollars. These are the people that I want you to advocate for every single war out there, every weapons program out there, because the military defense complex is funding you. And so we just need to call it out. Michael McCall does not represent the people. He doesn't meet with the people. He doesn't listen to the people. He hasn't held a town hall in this district in 11 years. And it's because he doesn't care what the people say. And so we're running the exact opposite of his campaign, a broad coalition you know, from workers to environmentalists, progressives, people of color, seniors, young people. I mean, you name it, we've built this amazing, unstoppable coalition. And over 5,000 people have volunteered for this campaign. We've made millions of phone calls literally since COVID started. And if we beat this guy, it's gonna be earth shaking. I mean, he has more invested personally in oil and gas than any member of the House or Senate. And I'm running on the Green New Deal. And if we beat him in Texas, that's just gonna give tremendous momentum to this movement. Yeah, that's two for the one price of corruption. So he personally profits off of destroying the planet. And he also gets campaign contributions from ExxonMobil and others that basically legally bribe him to be in favor of fossil fuels that are burning down the planet and in places like Texas causing you 500 year floods that are coming every other year. So they should be called two year floods now. And so, but I wanna talk about one group in particular, the geo group. So um, private prisons get to give money to politicians and have the politicians lock up more Americans and take away their freedom, right or wrong for profit. And guys like McCall are allowed to take their money. Do I have that right? It's so sinister, Jake. I mean, the idea that McCall was chairman of the Homeland Security Committee. I mean, the most important member of the House in relation to supervising ICE and Border Patrol and the rest. And he's there taking these bribes and then telling DHS, we need more beds. We need to create more concentration camps for kids at the border. And then you go beyond that and you know Trump rolls out the family separation policy. And McCall, he's, he thinks he's sneaky. He goes on Fox and Friends and says, well, I'm not really comfortable with this policy. This is the guy with the most power in Congress to stop family separation. Of course, he doesn't lift a finger. He doesn't hold an investigation. And now we learn there's 545 kids who have probably been permanently separated from their mothers and fathers. And so this guy, I mean, it's sinister up and down the road, whether it's war policy, immigration policy, you know, pharmaceutical policy. McCall doesn't care about human beings. But Mike, you seem to have caught a break in a most ironic place, his greed. Um, it doesn't look like he's putting his own personal wealth, even though he's got $300 million into the race. He's just asking for bribes from Exxon and pharmaceutical companies and private prisons. Uh, so do I have that right? He's really not putting his own money in, even though he has all that money? You know, uh, he married into wealth. So his father-in-law is the owner of what used to be called Clear Channel Media, you know, iHeart Radio or iHeart Media, you know, a billionaire basically. And so McCall married Mrs. Mays, and I don't think he has access, even though 
He has that wealth. So here, here's what he did do. He recently filed a report saying he got $30,000 from his wife, all of his children, I think five kids each gave $2,800, his father, <laughs> father-in-law. He's had to go begging his family members for, for change right now because he knows how close we are. So you're right that he's not putting millions in, but he has had to go back to the well at this late stage. Yeah, but it looks like, okay, I get it. It might not be greed. It's just that daddy-in-law in this case wouldn't give him the money to run. This is so sick. It's like billionaires buy these seats and then they say, well, I'm tired of funding it. So why don't you get ExxonMobil to fund it instead? Um, and, and this is the state of affairs in this country. But okay, I'm gonna ask the question I ask everybody. Um, so the money that McCall takes from these groups, is a matter of fact, it's in open secrets, it's, in, it's public, right? So when you ask the local media to cover that, do they? No, unfortunately. I mean, uh, I, there was a big article about this race in the local paper, the Austin Statesman. And the reporter started out by telling us that he was going to look at McCall's wealth and greed. But he ended up starting out the, the article attacking me saying, you know, this Siegel, he wants to be part of the squad. I mean, there's no interest in covering that kind of corruption, unfortunately. And, you know, there are some exceptions, but in terms of the mainstream media, the TV stations, they really don't uh, allow us to, to share that information. Yeah, no, that's why uh, mainstream media, I think, is an abomination. Uh, they just take it for granted that uh, that corruption is normal, and that and that everybody knows about it. He, no, no one knows about it because you guys keep it hidden. If people knew that Michael McCall was taking away people's freedom so that Geo Group could profit off of it, I think they'd be pretty pissed in Texas where they care a lot about freedom. And so, but if nobody in the media ever tells them, how the hell are they supposed to know? So it's deeply frustrating the hill that you guys got to climb. Now, having said that, you've climbed it. You're right there, almost beat him last time. You got him on the ropes this time. So, and you're bold, you're unapologetically progressive. So of the different progressive issues you care about, do you have a sense of what has resonated best with the voters in your district? Well, you know, I think big picture progressives actually have the answers to the crises we're facing in this moment. We're in a health pandemic and we're fighting for universal health care, Medicare for all. So that you can't have a barrier to getting a COVID test so that if you need treatment, you can go to a hospital and not risk bankruptcy because of medical debt. And these ideas, you know, the objections that I heard in the primary, you, you, you promoted or, or covered it, Jenk, um, these two moderate Democrats who spent three and a half million dollars trying to take the nomination from me. I mean, the objections I heard to Medicare for all were, oh, well, how do we pay for it? Well, we've seen during this pandemic, they'll prop up the stock market. They'll give hundreds of billions of loans to well-connected businesses. So the money's there. So get rid of that complaint. The other one was, well, I like my private insurance. And then 50 million people had to file for unemployment during this pandemic and lost their health care in the process. And so this is a solution to the crisis we're facing. I think another big one is the Green New Deal. And that hits two major crises at once, massive unemployment and the creeping threat of climate change. And in this Houston region, you, you hit it. We've had these 500 year floods, floods almost every year, exacerbated by climate change, which is of course the bedrock of the local economy. And with a Green New Deal, we're talking about let's create millions of good new jobs like the original New Deal. Let's combat massive inequality of wealth. Let's combat climate change. Let's confront environmental racism and injustice. And it, it pieces these things together. 
And you can go on with voting rights, you know, racial justice and police reform. We're actually speaking to the issues that are front and center for the American people right now. And that's why we need more progressives in Congress. 100% right. Look, both as a progressive and as someone in news, I I find your story fascinating and I'm deeply disturbed that more people in the media don't. I mean, here's a guy who was a teacher and then an advocate for the little guy as a lawyer and he's a giant killer. He's beaten all these guys that they threw at him in the in the primaries. And now he's got one of the worst Republicans on the ropes. How is that not an enormously interesting story? So look, there's there's only about a week left before the election. So SiegelfortExas.org, we got the link down below. Mike, and there it is, really easy to remember if you're watching live. Mike Siegel, 10th District in, in Texas, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Jane, for everything you do and uh, look, look forward to talking to you after this election. Can't wait.